and we are continuing it today. This is Jonah chapter 1. There will actually be a significant amount of overlap this morning between the passage we preached last week and the passage that we're preaching this week. So this is Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 17. Jonah 1, verses 4 through 17. I'm actually going to go ahead, just for kicks, read 1 through 17. So we're focusing on 4 through 17, but to give you some blessed context, I will read 1 through 17. The passage will be up here on the screen, if you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. There are blue Bibles and some of the uh, baskets in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take a Bible. And now you own a Bible. Remember that the book of Jonah, a lot of people are familiar, at least with the character of Jonah. Uh, remember, we said this last week, Jonah is not a great big story about a great big whale. Um, it's actually a story about God. That is a theme in Scripture. It tends to be about God, not us. It's relevant to us, but it's really about God. And in light of our focus this year on transformation, this is kind of our theme, becoming more like Jesus. We are studying Jonah because of what it teaches us about the nature and the character of the God who transforms us, especially God's compassion and faithfulness. So if you're interested in learning more about God's compassion and faithfulness, this is the book for you. If you are physically able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. And then at the end, Remember, we started doing this last week. This is going to be routine now for us. Um, at the end of the reading of the scripture passage, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and then you will corporately respond by saying, thanks be to God. Jonah chapter 1, starting verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go within the Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may Quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, 
They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, we do give you thanks for your true and authoritative word. Without it, we would be rudderless in this world, adrift. And so, Lord, it is right when we receive this word to respond in thanksgiving. And accordingly, we, we ask and know that your spirit will be at work among us, that we might take this word and actually not just kind of intellectually understand what it's saying, but, but understand who you are and just be, become more in awe of you that our affections might be completely transformed. And I pray that your spirit would give us guidance that we could uh, rightly understand this text and leave here different. But I do pray, um, Lord, we, we plead with you that you would superintend just remarkable uh, works throughout this First Samuel study that's beginning and then eventually the, the Christianity Explored class as well. Lord, may you use both of those classes to help people behold you, Lord, and may your glory be on display with more radiance than we've ever experienced it before. We want big things to happen, and so we are in need of help because we can't just accomplish those big things on our own. So we pray over this First Samuel class. We pray over the, the Christianity Explored. And I, Lord, would you help us remember to pray? over these things. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am serious. One of our core values here at City Church is being prayerful, and I would encourage you, when you hear about something like this starting, like a women's Bible study, uh, set an alarm or something on your phone for that time and then pray over it. Uh, And that is not some kind of trite, throwaway thing. Imagine what would happen if our whole church, you know, on Tuesday morning or on Monday night, for the women's study was praying that got on our knees even just for a couple of minutes and said, Lord, would you, would you go before us in power and bless us? I mean, that's, just, that's, that's moving just thinking about it. And so I'd encourage you to do that. Well, here in North Florida, we are very used to storms, very used to storms, and frankly, we're kind of arrogant about them. Uh, we love to talk about how much it, it rains here, how, how it rains harder here than anywhere else. Don't even bother arguing with us about there. It does not rain as hard in other parts of the country as it rains here in Florida. We call ourselves the lightning capital of the world, which is a little bit presumptuous. And sometimes we defy these emergency evacuation orders when hurricanes are coming, and we're always slightly less concerned about them when they approach than everybody else seems to be on our behalf. But I bet that all of us would have been humbled by the storm that Jonah and the mariners experienced on their way to Tarshish, a storm so powerful that it actually threatened to break up their ship, and the mariners were convinced they were on death's doorstep apart from some sort of miraculous intervention. You stop feeling tough when you realize you're about to drown, and you become more like the panicking captain who emphatically cried out to Jonah, saying, Why in the world are you sleeping? Cry out to your God. Even crusty, sea-hearted mariners start to crack under the, the right amount of pressure and the right kind of storm. In the midst of these storms, you also, you also become awfully reflective about life and and the merits of your, your core beliefs. Powerful storms have this, this way of revealing and testing our worldviews. 
functioning like a, a microscope that helps us see things that we can't otherwise see through the lens of our own wisdom and understanding. Storms are, they're disruptively clarifying, often very uncomfortably so. And in particular, these storms have a lot to say about the objects of our worship and the sincerity of our worship. Or to put this another way, storms teach us a lot about fear, which in many ways is the conductor that directs our worship. Last week we said that, like it or not, everybody is running. And this week we'll see that, at least in a sense, everybody is fearing. So last week we said that everybody is running. It turns out, well, everybody is fearing also. Two reflections this morning about fear and worship and ultimately God. Two reflections. Number one, a fear that fails. And then secondly, we will talk about a fear that prevails. So there is a fear that fails completely, but there is also a fear, as we will see, that prevails. Let's start with that first reflection, a fear that fails. Life is full of storms, literally and metaphorically, so it makes quite a lot of sense that we would spend an entire Sunday talking about a storm. Some of you are in the middle of a storm right now, and the ship appears to be breaking apart. Some of you have experienced particularly strong storms. Perhaps a few of you would even say that your entire life has been a protracted storm. And of course, life has been rather stormy for everyone the past few years, hasn't it? And it's reasonable to believe that more storms are on the horizon. Some, and this is really important, what we're about to talk about here, some of the storms we experience, some of them are the consequences of our sin, which was certainly the case for Jonah here in chapter 1. God hurled a great wind upon the sea and created a mighty tempest, verse 4, because Jonah was sinning against God, by rejecting God's command for him to go to Nineveh and instead fleeing in exactly the opposite direction to Tarshish. Jonah, who was an Israelite prophet, he could not see any good reasons why God would ask him to prophesy to his enemies, the notoriously violent Ninevites of Assyria. Jonah couldn't understand why God would ask him to do this, so Jonah pridefully went with his own plan instead which is the essence of sin. God, I don't really see your logic here. Honestly, I I think I have a better sense of things than you do, so I'm going to go my own route. That is sin in a nutshell. Jonah sinned against the Lord, and so there was a storm. However, other storms are not the consequences of our sin, They're the consequences of living in a world that is beautifully made, but marred by sin in general, including the sins of other people, past and present. We live in a fallen world, so we should expect fallen results. Consider here the experience of the mariners who who suffered in the storm along with Jonah, even though the storm was the result of Jonah's sin. 
so we can put things together like this. Our sin always brews up a storm. Our sin always brews up a storm, even if the storm is somewhat delayed in coming or primarily affects other people in ways that we don't see or notice, fueling oppression and injustice and et cetera, et cetera. But the storms we experience are not always, and I would say often not, the result of our own sin. So it is right to ask ourselves and ask the Lord if a storm we're experiencing might be related to our sin. It makes sense to ask that, but it's actually wrong to automatically assume that a storm we're experiencing is related to our sin or that a storm that someone else is experiencing is related to their sin. This was a very common problem in Jesus' day. In fact, he called it out twice on two prominent occasions. All storms do have this in common, though. They expose, with, with bracing honesty, the insufficiency of false or alternative gods. All storms do that. Worshiping these false gods, it might not be the direct cause of a particular storm, but storms always expose the insufficiency of those gods, their, their powerlessness, you might say. Look at how the mariners responded to the storm in verse 5. Here's how they responded. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And then what happened? I, I wish I could simply just tell you that nothing happened. But actually, the storms got even worse. I mean, skip down to verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. True storms, true storms expose false gods. They just do not hold up. Very often when we are running from God, like we talked about last week, when we're running from God, when we're, when we're living in disobedience or maybe we're just rejecting him entirely, very often when we're doing that, we might think that things are, are going along rather swimmingly and we might not even notice our disobedience. Sunny seasons, as, as, as wonderful as they are, can camouflage the insufficiency of false gods, whoever and whatever we're worshiping in the Lord's place. Sunny seasons can, not, they can put, not, not just lipstick, they can put some really, really nice-looking makeup on a pig. But storms tend to wash that makeup off in, in, in a real hurry. Storms, here's what they do. They kick up fear that drives us with more desperation than ever to our false gods, Maybe the, the bad smartphone habit becomes more of an addiction and then a, a full-blown dependency. But the gods let us down. And not only do the storms continue, they actually tend to get worse. False gods are kind of like, I was thinking about this week, they're kind of like Dave and Busters. It's a lot of fun which is debatable, but work with me. It's all fun and games until the power goes out. And then Dave and Buster's is like a house of hordes, right? I mean, 
when the storm comes, Dave and Buster's is literally the last place that you would want to be. So check out this, this terrible cycle. Fear drives us to false gods, which let us down when the storms actually do come. And then the storms and the fear get even worse. It's, it's awful. Look, notice in verse 5 that the mariners are simply afraid. But by verse 6, the captain is in full-blown panic mode. He's rousing Jonah out of the inner part of the ship because the captain can tell that their gods aren't working and they need a better plan. And then by verse 10, the mariners are now exceedingly afraid because now they know from casting lots back in verse 7 that Jonah is the reason for the supernatural storm they're experiencing which was a nightmare because it meant that they had most certainly chosen the wrong gods, and it meant that the guy who supposedly feared, more on that later, the true God who is causing the storm was unfortunately running from that God. Can you imagine? You realize we chose the wrong gods, and the guy that fears the right God is running from him. Fear that drives us to false gods ultimately fails. And then we become even more fearful, and perhaps we press even more deeply into those false gods, or maybe we try some new gods, and then our ship starts to break apart. Conversations about storms are particularly complex because storms cause pain. There's nothing funny about them. And there are many possible reasons for the storms. But when we're in a storm, we always have this, this very uncomfortable yet important opportunity to ask ourselves, am I crying out to false gods for help and relief? And if so, might they be getting exposed? Regardless of what's causing the storm, whenever we find ourselves in the storm, we always have an opportunity to ask ourselves, am I crying out to false gods for help? and relief, and are those false gods getting exposed? One of the most blessed things that can happen in the midst of a storm, regardless of its cause, is false god exposure. A few moments ago, I mentioned smartphones. And you know, that, that might sound like a, a cute example of a false god, you know, like a, a problem that people without real problems, they sort of intentionally cite to, to subtly communicate that they're living rather righteously. Thank you very much. But in my case, it hasn't been cute at all. And actually, it took a pandemic to expose how significant my own smartphone dependency was becoming. The pandemic storm was quite clarifying, demonstrating how, how fluidly I could pivot to my device in seasons of pain and anxiety rather than pivoting to the Lord. Where are you going with your fear? Where are you going with your fear? And which gods are failing you? Are you going to your phone? 
Which, by the way, notice how it always compounds anxiety and fear. It's never restful. You go to that, and, you, and you, you're always worse off. Or maybe you're, you're trying to gain more control of your circumstances by acquiring more power, more influence somehow. Maybe you're looking to sex. Maybe you're looking to money. I mean, the options here are endless. Where are you going with your fear? If you are in a storm, what a joyful or, I mean, it's joyful but difficult. What a joyful, although difficult occasion this might be to call some spades, spades. (laughs) To be honest about the nature of the false gods that are stealing your joy in the Lord or actually keeping you from the Lord entirely. Remember that the Lord uses storms to mold and ultimately transform his people, and false God exposure is part of it. How do you get transformed in the midst of a storm? Partly by God exposing your false gods. Here's how I like to talk about it. Even though storms are painful... It is nothing but grace for God to show you that you are eating vanilla coconut milk ice cream sweetened with stevia, which is a thing. It's on the market. You can buy it at Publix. When there's bluebell that's sitting in the freezer, the Lord wants to use your storm to show you that you are eating garbage. (laughs) And there's something a lot better over there. However, there is a kind of fear that checks out quite well in the midst of a storm. In fact, storms accentuate the beauty and the goodness of such fear. So there is a fear that fails, but there is a kind of fear that prevails. It's beautiful, and the goodness of it becomes even more radiant when the storms are raging. And that brings us to our second reflection, this this fear that prevails. Look with me at verses 7 through 17. Again, I'm actually going to read, believe it or not, I'm going to read this whole section again so that we can see the big picture. And they, that is the mariners, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea They quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. but They could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You can see in verse 13 that even though the mariners became 
exceedingly afraid on account of the storm and the failure of their gods to do anything about it, they still, isn't this, isn't this difficult? They, they still tried one more time to solve their problem without the Lord's help. Failure, failure, failure. They try again to solve their problem without the Lord's help. Jonah told them exactly what the problem was and how to solve it, which admittedly would have been difficult for anybody to believe. I mean, give the, give the mariners some credit here. But initially the mariners ignored his advice and they tried to row through the storm back to dry land on their own power. Ironically, they were kind of doing the Lord's work here. They were aborting this journey to Tarshish and they were bringing Jonah back to land. So in a sense, they're kind of doing the Lord's work. But they were doing the Lord's work in their own power, according to their own plan, and so they failed. And the storms grew more and more tempestuous against them. You know, there is a a ministry sermon in there, right? Not just for people in vocational ministry, but for anybody who's a follower of Jesus who's trying to faithfully, faithfully carry out the work of the Lord. It is quite possible to be about the Lord's work, but in your own way, instead of God's way. Do you see this? which will ultimately amount to a whole lot of rowing without getting much of anywhere and probably nothing to show for it except burnout. And you know when we're most susceptible to this trap? When we're afraid, when we're anxious. When you're afraid, when you're anxious, you are very susceptible to trying to do the Lord's work in your own power, to row and to row and to row and to get absolutely nowhere and to completely burn out. Francis Schaeffer talks about this concept at length in his famous sermon, The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way, which I would highly recommend to you. So at first they failed because they tried to do, sort of, the Lord's work, but in their own power. But eventually the mariners completely broke. They came to the end of themselves. They came to the end of their own power. So, verse 14, this is remarkable. They called out, this time... Not to their gods, but to the Lord. You see this? Now they're crying out to the Lord. The God of heaven saying, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. These mariners finally saw that everything about their circumstances was truly under the Lord's control and happening according to the Lord's plan O Lord, you have done it as you pleased. So accordingly, they turned to the Lord for help. They turned to the Lord for mercy. They turned to the Lord for for protection as they prepared to get on board with what appeared to be God's plan. In other words, hurling Jonah into the sea. They were still afraid. The fear was still there. But in this case, they diverted their fear toward the Lord. In fact, Verses 15 and 16, it's right to say that in this case, their fear developed into what appears to be reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord. When they obediently followed the Lord's plan by 
by hurling Jonah into the sea. The storms indeed calmed, just as Jonah prophesied, and so they were in reverent awe or, or fear of the Lord. And although we, we can't fully know the condition of their hearts, that really looks like we have some converts on our hands. The, the theme of conversion in the Old Testament is difficult. We're going to get into that more next week, actually. But, man, it really looks like we have some, some converts on our hands. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. That's incredible. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Beliefs backed up with, with the worshipful actions are the mark of genuine faith, which is what we see here from these mariners. And of course, they, they've literally experienced deliverance. Their ship was breaking apart, folks. They were about to die. They were going down. But when they, when they finally cried out to the Lord in faith and essentially put their hope in him instead of continuing along their own path, the storms calmed and they were saved. Do you see this? And this is why I said that there is a kind of fear that prevails in the midst of a storm, although the the prevailing isn't really about the fear itself, it's about the object of our fear, namely God. God is the one who who does the prevailing, God is the one who does the delivering, the the saving. And really, he's the one who redirects our fear in his direction anyway. I mean, it's not, like the, it's not like the mariners had these, these personal epiphanies, right? It's not like the mariners were, were sitting in some Adirondack chairs on the banks of the Mediterranean Sea and said, you know what, guys, we've been doing it wrong. We have been, you know what I just realized we've been doing it? We've been crying out to these false gods. We've been doing it wrong. We really should be getting on this train that the Israelites keep talking about. That is not what happened. God had to, to break them. And, and literally pull them to himself. Otherwise, they weren't coming. Their coming, their fear redirection was, was all about God, grounded in his staggering mercy and compassion, even towards pagans, like these mariners. God's mercy, God's compassion is for all people in all parts of the world. You can see it right here in Jonah, not just for the Israelites, but for pagans. By the way, there's another ministry sermon here as well, a second one. Not just for, again, vocational ministry, but for all of us. Very often the road to deliverance includes a whole lot of fits and starts. So if you are, if you are faithfully bringing Jesus to people, if you're going out there and you're trying to make more disciples, you're bringing Jesus Christ and the gospel message to other people, if that describes you, and then those people seem to be experiencing a lot of these fits and starts, do not give up on them. Keep bringing them Jesus. Keep bringing them Jesus. You know, for, for a season, they, they, may, they may well continue crying out to their own gods, and they may well keep rowing through a storm in their own strength, and you might get really, really frustrated. But I've got to tell you, deliverance remains possible even for them, and may well be on the horizon. Keep ministering, keep telling them about the Lord, the God of heaven, and see what he will do. And you know, Jonah's redirection was 
of the same God-centered variety, was it not? I mean, he was getting redirected, but it was all about God too. Aside from God's intervention in the form of this tempestuous sea, Jonah was, was fleeing to Tarshish, and he was thrilled to death about it. Which makes his situation really hard to figure, doesn't it? I mean, we'll, again, we'll, we'll spend more time on Jonah's spiritual estate, especially next week and throughout this series. But for now, let's, let's acknowledge that it's, it's quite possible for somebody to loudly and proudly claim to fear the Lord, as Jonah did, but then actually live in such a way that suggests that they might not fear the Lord as much as they say they do, and possibly not at all. And his response to questions from the mariners about his vocation and origin and, and people, Jonah proclaimed very confidently in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Sounds great, but he was saying this as he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord he claimed to fear. Storms expose gaps between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. And in Jonah's case, the gap was more like, it was more like a canyon. <laughs> Yet, here's the, here's the remarkable thing. Yet, the Lord was using the storm to do more than simply expose the gap. The Lord was using the storm to do something about it. To bring about repentance in Jonah's life and, and to change him. To help him genuinely fear the Lord rather than just, just talk about it. So he's exposing, but he's using the same storm to change Jonah. I saw this from Ray Ortland the other day, and it's very relevant in Jonah's case. God loves us. He loves his kids in spite of our disobedience, but then he also loves us into, into obedience. So, so he keeps loving us even when we're disobedient, but he doesn't just leave us there. He tries to love us back into obedience. He doesn't just leave us as we are. He changes us. He transforms us. Or to put this one more way, God keeps loving his children despite what we do, but he doesn't leave us as we are, mercifully and, and compassionately. He continues to change us, in large part, by continuing to love us and to be with us even when we're unfaithful. And speaking of mercy and speaking of compassion, we can already tell that Jonah's gap had something to do with his understanding of exactly those things, God's mercy and God's compassion. One of the big reasons why there was a gap in Jonah's life between what he said he believed and what he actually believed is because he didn't really understand God's mercy and compassion. He didn't really get it. And, and this, is, this is speculative, but it may well have had something to do with, with the popularity that Jonah enjoyed at home as he prophesied these, these favorable outcomes for Israel. We talked about it last week. He was telling King Jeroboam II, hey, guess what? You're going to enlarge your territory. He had this wonderful prophetic gig. Popularity and favorability tend to make us forget about our need for God's mercy and God's compassion because we start to believe our own press 
and then we, we forget, and when we forget about our need for, for God's mercy and, and compassion, you know what happens. When we have a really hard time showing it to other people, and then you know what happens? We actually start to forget very essential things about God's nature and character. You forget about your own need for mercy and compassion, you stop showing it to other people, and then you forget that God is merciful and compassionate. So here's what we're seeing. God uses storms to redirect our fear, specifically toward reverent fear of him. He does this work in the lives of those who are his people, but have possibly forgotten a thing or two and have perhaps started to cheat on him with other gods, with false gods. And God also does this in the lives of those who haven't known God at all those who have spent their whole lives running after false gods. And ultimately, those who fear the Lord will be delivered. The storms of this life will continue until Jesus returns. But when he does, Jesus will will bring God's people to the, the shores of the heavenly Canaan, safe forever from the stormy seas. In fact, in Revelation, at the, at the very end, it talks about how in this new heaven, this new earth, there's not going to be any more sea. And now you understand what John was talking about. Let me end with this. Last week, we talked about Jesus, the Son of God, running toward his enemies and ultimately giving up his life so that his enemies might have life in him and through him. We talked about that last week. Jonah ran away from his enemies to save his life, or at the very least to try to save his reputation, since prophesying to the enemy would not have been very popular back at home. But Jesus ran toward his enemies, giving up his life. As his reputation was absolutely slandered, that we might have life. And then this morning, now we learn more about the the giving up his life part this time involving a comparison to Jonah rather than a contrast. Jesus died. He literally went under so that people who would otherwise be drowned and killed by the storms of their sin might be saved. Jonah went down into the sea to save the mariners. You see this? Jesus went down and ultimately came up More on that next week. That all those who repent of their sin, that is, turn back from their sin and repentance and put their hope in the Lord might be saved. Jesus ran toward his enemies and he became their substitute, dying the death they deserved, that they might be saved. They, including pagan mariners, Ninevites, you, Let me end with this beautiful word from John Stott. This is a a pretty famous quote from his book, The Cross of Christ. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man, and puts himself where only man deserves to be. 
man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone, God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. Amen.